Do you love watching sports highlights? Five Star, the world's first sports highlight rating app is here. Athletes and fans can share, view, and rate the best sports highlights between one and five stars. The app is comment-free and has athletes of all skill levels, even pros like Kylie O'Miller, Kyle Harrison, and the 2022 PLL MVP, Trevor Baptiste. Download Five Star Highlights to earn yours. The Quintessential Podcast welcomes in Eamon McEnany, SNY sports anchor and newly named CEO of City Lax as we get ready to preview this weekend. Uh, it, it's a good one. I'm going to uh, Charlottesville, Eamon, on Friday, 5 o'clock on ESPNU. It's uh, Duke and Virginia in person, which is, uh, you know, it's interesting because last weekend I got to do a game from home Penn and Cornell and saved myself a trip to Ithaca. And, you know, as I, as I had the outside fire with my daughter and my sister came over and uh, she brought a friend and we had a little, and I was texting back and forth with Clark. He goes, you actually had a real life. So, so it was, so it was kind of nice doing a game from home. I don't know how you guys do it. I mean, obviously you guys have houses with man caves and offices uh, in ours, in my apartment. I don't know if I could ever make it through a two and a half hour game. Uh, it's just so much chaos. That is true. Like uh, when, when you're living in New York City and space is uh, uh, like the, the most valuable commodity, it's a different scenario. Now in my house, I'm up in my office. They can hear me screaming. They're like, oh, Denise, he's really loud today. <laughs> You'd have, you would have to send your kids packing. Would have to, some, someone would have to leave, no doubt. No doubt. We're not, we were not built for COVID television. There's there's uh, five games this weekend of that 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 have caught my eye and, and we're not really going to talk about them but I do want to mention them at the top of the show as I said Duke and Virginia five o'clock Friday ESPNU it's it's a big time game nice time slot for happy hour Saturday Denver Georgetown important game this year in in, in the uh, Big East Yale Penn okay the Ivy League is put themselves in position where they're where they're probably not going to get more than two teams in the NCAA tournament. So Yale Penn is, is a critical game as is Brown Princeton. Suddenly Brown's got all their players back after that noise in- incident and Brown, like they lost three games in a row. They got a 36th RPI, but with their, with their seven seniors back in the lineup, they're like the 10th best team in the country. So good, good luck trying to fig- figure that out. Uh, Rutgers Hopkins is a three o'clock game on the U and then Sunday we got Ohio state at Penn state, an important game in the big 10. Uh, let's go back to last week. Uh, how much of the Notre Dame game did you get to watch? Five, uh, you know, I'm in between sports right now with my kids. So I was able to hunker down on the couch the last couple of weekends and watch the Irish from beginning to end. That it was, a, I, I thought it was an interesting game, but the crowd was amazing considering that the weather was, uh, subpar. You know, Quint, we've been going over a lot of for years. I think you have to give coach Corgan a, a lot of credit. Now, obviously it's not as big as some of the other places. So you, you get a, 3,000 people there, it might feel like 10 at another place. But I thought the last two weekends, Maryland at Clockner and then Virginia at Arlotta, we saw just how, how much juice you can have at an on-campus lacrosse game. And obviously, it, it lends itself to amazing theater when the football team comes out of spring practice and decides to watch. When you get 85 to 100 guys in their football equipment, you know, and Notre Dame gets on a run, it was great theater. But, you know, that's – Coach Corgan's done that. You know, I remember the North Carolina game back that had controversy at the end. You know, it was students and youth kids storming the field when North Carolina, when Notre Dame won in overtime. So a nice enough day late in the spring. They get they get juice and energy at that place. Uh, you know, give credit to Virginia. They weathered the storm. They didn't wilt when it looked like that place was going off the rails, and they shut Notre Dame down. That defense was impressive. I thought the goalie played well. 
But really, uh, that defense, as it has been under Lars Tiffany, just long and athletic. It was very tough for anyone in Notre Dame to win their matchup. You know, uh, watching the game, I was like, wow, Notre Dame has a lot of turnovers. And then you look at the turnover stats. Virginia had 18 turnovers. Notre Dame only had 16. Now, some of those were unforced on offense. But at the end of the day, Notre Dame's going to have to improve their defense, their picks behind the net, and then their, their crease coverage. Uh, you know, the, the, the Schellenberger-Dixon combo was pretty effective. But the, the football team's showing up. Uh, what, what's the relationship like at, at Notre Dame, a big school, a Power 5 school, between lacrosse and some of the other uh, name programs? I, I know they have a great relationship with the hockey program. Uh, I think the football relationship is strong. I remember when I played there, Michael Stonebreaker showed up at the scrimmage that you were in uh, when, when, you, when you crossed Petro. And- it- <laughs> <laughs> When you threw the buddy pass, uh, it was, no, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, look, as the Notre Dame program now has become, you know, are you allowed to say elite without a championship, but, you know, play big games and compete for a national championship and be there year in and year out, you know, you share a weight room, you hang out, uh, you know, I think it, uh, the football team, you know, I remember uh, Jerron Jones from Westchester was very good friends and that, you know, with the Kavanaugh and Perkovictor in that era. And I think they're really tight. I think there's a lot of, you know, mutual respect. And I think just like the time you're talking about, you know, when the football players come and witness a lacrosse game, you know, I remember the next year we scrimmaged Washington College in the fall and the football team came to take over Loftus when we were done and they actually watch it. And you know this, when you watch a college lacrosse game and we weren't even top 20 teams back then, but you watch it downfield level and the speed and the shot and how hard the ball is and how people actually get hit you gain respect for it. And I think the football player, I think there's a great relationship. And I think the last two years, not that Brian Kelly had nothing to, uh, you know, did anything to deter it. Not at all. You know, Brian Kelly joined us at halftime once when Clark and I did a game. So I'm not knocking him at all, but I think that's become an important part of Marcus Freeman and his program. You see him at hockey games, at women's basketball games. He was at the Duke game, lacrosse game last year. I think that's, you know, I think he's helped, you know, make the college, make the football players part of, you know, the university and the uh, campus. Not that they weren't before, but just you see it more so now. No, and you hope lacrosse can fit into that equation. Uh, you know, I've always thought, thought that the fall, spring athletes may be tighter than the winter, spring or fall, winter, because there's less crossover uh, when, when football, the lacrosse players go to all the football games. Ba- basketball players are, you know, tied up pretty much until until the end of March and, and, and as is hockey. But, uh, no, I, I enjoyed the scene. I thought I thought it was terrific. And, uh you know, I'm not giving up on Notre Dame. I think they can make some changes. I think they can make some adjustments and, and they'll play better and certainly uh, will make a run. What's going on with you right now is, as uh, you, we change seasons, uh, college basketball wrapping up. Have, have you been on the UConn beat at all? Yeah, I was on the UConn beat. We show every UConn, not every, but almost 98% of the UConn women. And we cover the UConn men. And now, obviously, uh, now that they're in the final four and being dominant, we're on them a lot more. Uh, it's kind of interesting for me. I mean, I've known Coach Hurley, not that we're tight, but I've covered Coach Hurley since he was at St. Benedict's uh, when I was at News 12 New Jersey and MSG. So it's uh, pretty interesting for me now to see him on the cusp of possibly a national title. So we'll cover that a lot. But on Thursday at SNY, it's all Mets all the time. You know, opening day starts. And uh, obviously the Met fan is pretty energized about this group. And how can you blame him? Let's go Mets. Uh, I was a lifelong Mets fan growing up in the South Shore, Nassau County. I'd go to, I don't know, two or three games a year. It was a big treat. Uh, I remember sitting down low and uh, against the Dodgers and meeting Davey Lopes. He, he came over to the dugout and, like, waved to me. He was my favorite player forever. Uh, I remember going to watch Dwight Gooden pitch. Uh, and we didn't – those seats were not available when Dwight Gooden pitched and we were up in the uh, 
up in the third you know third deck and the place was just jammed 60,000 uh, Dwight Gooden used to draw uh th th those were the days back in old old Shea Stadium Dr. K you really energized the city and uh energized the fan base and they're starting to, it's not the same as when he pitched but you know with Scherzer and Verlander and this team now being competitive and of course the new owner uh they're into it and they they definitely expect to be in the playoffs and even the World Series in terms of lacrosse, you've just been named the CEO of City Lax. Uh, back me up a bit. What, what's the state of lacrosse in Manhattan? It's in Manhattan and beyond. It's uh, in all five boroughs. Uh, you know, Quint, the other day, the PSAL, which is the Public School Athletic League, held a scrimmage day on Randall's Island. And for those who don't know, Randall's Island is an island that sits between Manhattan, uh, Queens, and the Bronx. It's on the Queen side of the Triborough Bridge, which obviously, as I mentioned, links all three boroughs together. So 45 varsity teams, more than a thousand kids on one place scrimmaging and they rotated there. You know, there were two shifts, but Quint, you would have loved it as a lifelong lacrosse guy who grew up probably 10 miles away from Randall's Island to see all these kids from all five boroughs get off the bus and compete and get ready for their season and the fun they have and the excitement. Uh, it, it's it, you know, it really blows you away when you see the mass numbers now. You know, City Lacks alone, we now support over 72 high school and middle school programs in all five boroughs. You know, when we started back in 2005, there were three public high school teams in all of New York City. So it's, it's really taken off in all five boroughs. Uh, now the focus is on more middle schools so that we can, you know, get sticks in hands earlier and that these players can become good enough to maybe play beyond high school. But there are some now. But it really has it really is uh, amazing when you take a look at the numbers that City Lacks has uh, helped develop for the sport of lacrosse. Yeah. Yeah. Long, Long Island, obviously, has clearly always been a hotbed. I lived in Limburg, which was two towns over from the Queens border, Valley Stream and then Queens. There was no lacrosse in Queens. There was no there was no lacrosse. I, I'm not sure there was very much lacrosse in Manhattan. North, obviously, and Westchester kicked in pretty strong. And then in, in Jersey, it kicked in as, as it did in the Connecticut suburbs. So City lacks 72 programs. So you guys plant the seed, basically? Do you guys, with equipment uh, and with instruction, is that how this all starts? Everything, equipment, donations. You know, we, we fund the sticks and the balls and, you know, the coaches. We give grants for the schools to hire the coaches. Uh, a lot of the coaches, as you would imagine, are teachers and football coaches already in the school. But City Lacks, the donations that City Lacks receives, pretty much 80% of the donations we receive go back to the City Lacks Public School Athletic League, the uh, PSAL. So, you know, but also we collect sticks. You know, there have been two programs out in New Jersey. There's a program called SCORE, which I forget exactly what that stands for. I apologize. But... You know, they've been very helpful. There's a program in Tenafly called Give and Go that collects sticks that, you know, players are done using that, that we can use. So there's a lot of that. Anything and everything. You know, just the other day, I called the coach at Long Island City and he said, hey, the girls need sticks. A lot of theirs are broken. Boom. We go find and dig in our garage and we take five or ten sticks out to their next practice. So it's a it's a little bit of everything. But City Lacks basically creates and funds the New York City Public School Athletic League for lacrosse. Okay, so and this so this is school based. This is not club based. This is not neighborhood based. This is not a rec based. These are through middle schools uh, and taking existing teachers from those districts 
uh, who have some kind of ex background in lacrosse and and uh, helping them and, and giving them ever opportunity to get sticks and, and uh, helmets and gloves on, on athletes. That's the gist of it. Obviously, to get a team, there isn't always complete interest in one school. So sometimes like the Stuyvesant girls team was telling me they're a combination. That's in Manhattan, lower Manhattan. That's a combination of like four public schools. So they meet at Pier 40, which is on the Hudson River, and that's where they practice and they play their games in Randall's Island. But that makes up one program. And it's, I think, four New York City public schools in Manhattan. Same thing in the Bronx at Columbus. There's like five high schools in the neighborhood to make up one lacrosse team. You pick from them. It's not like the football team where you have, you know, 80 kids, I won't say 80, but 60 kids from Lindbrook being the Lindbrook football team. Imagine not enough interest in lacrosse in Lindbrook. So Lindbrook, Hewlett, and, you know, Floral Park, maybe I apologize, you know, combined to form one lacrosse team. That's what we do sometimes in New York City. What, what, what are the goals? What are the goals the city lacks? Goals basically is to introduce lacrosse to as many people as possible. Uh, you know, is there a dream one day of having a all-American at Johns Hopkins or Notre Dame or Virginia? Sure, but we're not there yet. I mean, I think the goal, right, you know, what works is at the core level, it gives students something to do after school, something they're passionate about, and something they want to make sure they keep doing so they keep their grades up, they stay in school, they graduate. That, you know, I went to one practice the other day at Eagle Academy, and a coach pointed out a guy in line drills. He says, that kid goes to school now. For two years, you couldn't find him. Now he sits every day in the front row because he wants to make sure he's eligible for lacrosse. So, you, you know, 99% of the high school lacrosse players in the New York City Public School Athletically graduate. 97% of them go to college. Are they playing in college? Some. They play club. You know, we have a player uh, from James Matt, uh, excuse me, John Dewey High School in Brooklyn, who's now a freshman at Purchase in Westchester, that's playing a lot. That's a great lacrosse success story. But mainly, our success stories are uh, students staying eligible, graduating, and going to college because they have such a passion for lacrosse that they don't want to flunk out. So now, as, this, as the CEO of City Lax, uh, what, what are the challenges? What are the challenges you face? Well, always, when you're the CEO of a nonprofit, the number one challenge is money and raising and fundraising. That's that never stops because you have to make sure that stream keeps coming in. But through that, I think what we need to do is increase our awareness of just exactly what we do and the magnitude of it. Um, and I think we need to increase just inside our group that everyone knows that we're all together. I, I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, being school based, you know, not being a club, not being one neighborhood. That's unique to us. We are not one singular borough program we're 72 so i think through increasing the awareness of that the funds will come once people realize the scope and magnitude of what city lax does but uh increasing awareness and increasing uh, the fundraising are my biggest challenges taking over from john moser right now is this girls and boys or just boys girls and boys as of now we have more girls programs than boys and, and this is uh, outdoor field lacrosse or, or there's some sixes involved or there's some indoor, like how, how are you structuring, structuring that? Uh, What's all, best? It's all outdoor. It's all field, uh, traditional lacrosse. Um, you know, they're just, they're just starting to learn the game. You know, it's, you know, it's somewhat funny sometimes when I go to some of these games, especially earlier in the year, early in the season, the refs have to line them up. You know, they, like you got to remember some people out there playing for the first time, like maybe they've been practicing for two weeks never played a game before. So they don't know, you know, the lineup, the handshake, where to go for the draw or the face-off. So it's really grassroots. 
So we're just getting our, uh, you know, feet wet in the field level. But I tell you, Quinn, when you go to these practices, and you, I know you, you have an eye for practices, Whether no matter what it is, you find the athletes. I sit there at practices, and I watch line drills, and I go, Coach, 22. Oh, yeah, linebacker on the football team. Oh, oh yeah, point guard, on the, point guard on the basketball team. If you get sticks in the, these players' hands in seventh or eighth grade and they take off, now you're, now you're onto something. And that's what we're trying to do now to increase our middle school participation. You mentioned two or three weeks. My, my daughter started playing lacrosse, she, and she quit as a six-year-old after a bad experience at a, at a McDonough camp. Two weeks ago, before, before eighth grade lacrosse started, she said, I want to play lacrosse. Well, she's been a pretty big-time gymnast, you know, four nights a week, all in. She's got one more state meet coming up. But today is her first game, and I've been watching practice, and it's, it's, it's classic. Uh, you mentioned uh, she just she's just – you know, she's not there yet. She's, she's behind, I don't know, four or five years compared to her peers here in Maryland, but we'll catch up. We'll catch up. And, and she's, uh, Eamon, I got to tell you, she's enjoying it. You know, she's running around, she's got good speed and she's, uh, she's happy. She's playing with her classmates. But, uh, but you mentioned, you know, I was at a high school game the other day, McDonough against Nobles. Uh, it was Friday. Nobles is from Boston and I'm watching warmups and I'm like, wow, who's that guy? 28 for, for, for McDonough. And then some parents come over. I'm like, how's your roster? He, he's he's going to be playing at Duke. I'm like, oh, this goalie for Nobles, he's pretty good. Uh, he's going to be playing at Cornell. Like, the, these coaches make recruiting out to be a lot harder than it really is. These guys jump off the page, don't they? They really do. I remember when I, I was covering high school football, uh, there was a team out by a year old neck of the – well, actually farther out, but William Floyd. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but they had a guy who was going to Rutgers. And – you know, he gets off the bus, you know, you know, tight Under Armour shirt on. I go, coach, is that Johnson? He goes, of course it's Johnson. You think I got, you think I got more than one of that? Exactly. I mean, exactly. sometimes it's pretty easy. Now, obviously, the, I, I guess the, the, the nuances when you have ties, when you have two good, two really good players and, you know, how are you going to separate them? But, but getting back to City Lax, who do you have helping you? Uh, you, you got some pros, you got some uh, former coaches, like who, who's helping these, these programs along? We got a great board, uh, you know, Rob Pinnell and Max Seabold are some names that people will know on our board. Brittany Brown's on our board. She played at Penn. Uh, Matt Levine is our founder. So he knows where all the bodies are buried and he knows, you know, the coaches know that they can call him. Rob Coughlin, uh, who uh, just started coaching at Fordham Prep, went to Princeton, is on our board. Uh, you know, we have a great board. Those are the people who help City Lax. Um, you know, we have a lot of volunteers, as you know, Quint, former college lacrosse players who aren't playing in the PLL, some who even are playing professionally, men and women, come to New York to start their other professional careers. And, you know, they're looking to help. So there, we have a lot of clinics in the fall and in the off season, and they come to that. And that's awesome, you know, to have former players, you know, from college help out at a clinic. And, you know, they get to games. But for the most part, the people helping us out are the PSAL you know, the coaches and the teachers in those public schools who are with these students every day. You know, I would, I would hope that I, I've always felt that in Baltimore, each of the local D1 programs, both men's and women's, should sort of adopt uh, a high school team or a, a middle school team in the area, a public school team. Uh, and and that, would, that would work for the city lacks in terms of, you know, if Manhattan, Fordham, St. John's, Hofstra, and, and perhaps NJIT, uh, could all lend their expertise and, and their time as volunteers. I, I think that's a no-brainer. It's helpful when you ask. It's, you know, as you know, it's very tough to line up schedules. You know, most of their free time 
is in the fall. You know, that's when they have a chance to do a clinic. I, I think the problem is the schedules just don't line up because, you know, we don't have fall ball in New York City. Our guys are playing football or soccer, you know, like, and then, you know, our, the college games start so early, but the, by the time our kids are starting to practice, where it'd be great to have bring them out to Hofstra for a clinic, Hofstra's three games in, and you can't ask Hofstra St. John's, you know, to take a day off and run a clinic. But you know, you, you gotta you gotta ask. And we just had a clinic with Rick Beardsley, who's now the coach at Bergen Catholic in New Jersey. And it wasn't for our kids, but it was for local kids, and it was run by his student athletes at Bergen Catholic, and they raised money. So you know, you get seventy kids from Bergen County, New Jersey, to learn from great players and a great coach. They have a great day. And City Lacks gets some money and everyone learns more about City Lacks. So that was, you know, a great uh, cooperation with uh, Rick Beardsley and Bergen Catholic and City Lacks. So people want to help. It's just a question of, you know, putting us in contact with them or us tracking them down and finding a good day that works out. And, uh, you know, I, I think as we now move along, we will try that more often. I'm pretty sure the coaches at Manhattan and St. John's will be tired of me by the time I'm all said and done. Yeah. You mentioned Matt Levine. I met him a couple of years ago at the Ivy League tournament. Uh, we're heading back up to Columbia May 5 and, and May 7. The doubleheader semis on, on a Friday, May 5th. That's going to be uh, – those are going to be critical games. Uh, but we're in Manhattan, which, which is uh, unique and uh, un unusual. Is, is there any City Lacks presence a plan for the Ivy League tournament this year? We're definitely going to start to uh, raise some money and get tickets to try to get as many teams as possible to the title game on Sunday. I think Friday afternoon is kind of tough for our kids to commute to Columbia uh, on a Friday night. You know, the two games, I don't know if the coaches want to hang out at Columbia and leave there at 930 at night. So we're trying to go all in on Sunday. Uh, we're working on that. We're in the stages. You know, obviously, you got to get the coaches on board to have them be willing to chaperone their kids on an off day. There has to be interest from the kids, but we're definitely going to try to ratchet it up. And I'm also, you know, we're also, you know, Matt's connected to the Docs Little League, which is uh, the travel team slash youth league in Manhattan, uh, which funnels most of the private school kids into, you know, high school, trying to get them fired up about Friday night. You know, it's, I don't want to go, you know, you'll always love to tell me about being on my soapbox. I'll get on my soapbox now. I mean, the Ivy League's bringing this to Manhattan. Let's make an event about it. But, you know, it's almost like a secret. You know, you got you to gotta generate some buzz if you're going to try the big city and Columbia. And I hope they do. I hope they have a great crowd so that they want to do it again. But, you know, who's it up to to generate buzz for that Friday night? I, I used to think it's a no-brainer, tougher sell than I found out. But I, I would think with those four alumni bases, whatever four teams make it, and then you sell it to the high school kids in Manhattan and uh, right over the other side of the bridge in the Bronx, Fieldston, Horseman, you should get a great crowd with energy there. But the Ivy League has got to start pumping it up because it'll be here before everyone knows it. I tell you, if you if you bring those those young players to to uh, Columbia on Sunday, I wouldn't mind grabbing some of your goalies for a half an hour and 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 giving them a little a, a little uh, instruction on a side field up there, maybe from nine to nine thirty or nine to ten. And I'm sure I'll speak for Kark. You know, Kark can teach these kids how to shoot right-handed. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try we'll try everything you know so when I go to these practices and see the goalies do drills I always think of you and I'm like man I need Quinn here to talk about wonder if these drills are okay or not you know don't want to get labeled goofy goalie drills if I remember from back in the day but uh you know it's great to see them try and learn and you know one of my buddies I put it on Instagram and one of my buddies who coaches says yeah the goalie needs to you know work on his right step it needs to be more forward I'm like I'm pretty sure it's the first time you ever grabbed the stick but I'll pass it along but, uh, you know, you, you, Quinn, if you ever came to one of these practices, you know, at Columbus in the Bronx or, 
you know, Mass Fest in Queens, you'd be blown away by the passion of, of it. You know, it's really it's really fun to see guys, you know, fall in love with this sport and girls for the first time. Yeah, my, my brother was involved here locally with the Charm City program years ago. Uh, and he's got a kid right now who's a, a senior in college is, is going to go to law school. He sent me a picture of him. You know, this was a this was a young man who probably picked up a stick as a sixth or seventh grader. Uh, ultimately did not play lacrosse in college. But as you said, the game can mean enough to keep people in school moving forward, give them a reason to stay out of trouble, do their homework. And, and just, uh, it makes them feel like the part of something, like a part of, uh, of something at school. And I'm even finding that with my daughter, you know, her gymnastics, that's club, that's outside of school. So she has a circle of friends there, but I didn't feel like she was investing or, or getting enough time with her classmates out of the classroom. Uh, you know, when I grew up playing multiple sports on Long Island in a very uh, rec league and then high school, you play with your friends. Uh, similar, similar for you. My, my question about the origin of lacrosse in, in New York City, though, uh, I don't remember very much high school lacrosse going on in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s in Manhattan. Uh, has it picked up? Uh, I mean, the, the private schools in Manhattan pretty much all have teams. So they, they play for their school and their uh, travel team. There's a uh, docks, city stars, lacrosse. Some venture out to the, to the suburbs and play. Uh, with the express teams, you know, in Westchester. So uh, there is much more high school presence. The private school, high schools such as uh, Dalton, Trinity, Fieldston, Horace Mann, Riverdale, all have teams. The Catholic schools pretty much all have teams. The Varian in Brooklyn, uh, Ford and Prep in the Bronx, Xavier now in Manhattan, Cardinal Spellman and Cardinal Hayes in the Bronx all have teams. And now, as I mentioned, in our public schools, we have about 45 varsity teams, but 72 uh, varsity JV and middle school programs now in the public schools. Will they compete for a championship? There is. There is a public school athletic league championship played at Aviator Field in Brooklyn, uh, which is between uh, Brooklyn and the Rockaways. And it's a pretty amazing setting. I mean, it is, it's a legit league, Clark. I mean, I'm not going to put it up there with the, obviously the MIAA and what's going on on Long Island, but as far as competition and passion for that championship, it's pretty lights out. Last year, you know, you, I went, I was blown away by how important it was uh, for the team that won. And uh, it's, you know, it's a legit league and all five boroughs play against each other. It's not like you stay stuck because, you know, there aren't enough teams in one borough. So it's kind of cool. You know, yesterday I'm watching the game between Hunter and Manhattan and Wagner on Staten Island. And, you know, it was, there's some players on it. It was a pretty good game. You get to that championship game and it's intense. You could call that game right down the Van Wick Expressway. That's right. Right down the BQE. <laughs> so, so Dixie, Dixie, uh, I want to finish up with this. Dixie said something the other night that I was like, wait a second. I thought I said that first. I thought that was my line. Then I was like, you know what? You got to give it up. You know, there are no lines. You don't own your sayings, you know, like move on, like get over it. Like, it, and, and I think about. The right extra now, step to greatness, was it? He, he didn't go that, that is Matt, definitely yours. Oh, Matt, Ward, Matt Ward said that recently also. And you're like, if it's good, then the other guy is, is allowed to say it. And, you know, you got, you got to be proud of that. You came up with a catchy, you know, like right down Charles street uh, used a lot. Time room bullseye. I want to use it every game. That's why they call it execution. Works a lot also. Like the good ones have will, will stay. And I, and I don't think that as announcers, we should be, uh, you know, I don't think ownership is, is uh, should, should be on our minds. Any thoughts on when you hear time room bullseye? <laughs> uh, 
you know, I take it as a compliment. You know, the pod, there's a podcast. I think it's the Crease Dive podcast that opens up with it. Uh, you know, look, it works. I mean, that's why I stuck with it. You know, just some are organic, some are forced, and the ones that are usually forced don't work. Uh, yeah. That's why they call it execution. I'll tell you it was forced because I, I got sick and tired of every coach using that word for everything. And I'm like, you know, but it fits, you know, when you execute, you score. So, uh, but time room bullseye was definitely organic and I catch you every once in a while. And it's funny because I know you so well and I know you're on the call and you're like time room. I mean, there's nothing else left to say. I got to use it bullseye. <laughs> and you're like, I can just see you getting ready for me to text you. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm flattered by it. You know, it, you know it's, I haven't called a game. I think the 2017 title game between Carolina and Maryland was the last lacrosse game I called. Really? So I consider, yeah, that was it. I mean, I did some MLL that summer, but that was the last college game. That so was I've, a sick game. That was it. That, that was, was that game. was pre. That was pre shot. That was the best final we had pre shot clock by by far, because there were some dreadful there were some dreadful playoff games there for a while. There were. There was definitely some times where we were thinking you got to push this game back. You can't play it on Monday. Uh, you know the the first game. Where I was with you, I was a sideline reporter with you and Dave Ryan. Duke Hopkins, I'm going to get my years wrong. 07. 03 or 05. Oh, no, 07. 07. 07. 07 in Baltimore. Hopkins had no problem with Delaware on Saturday. 93 or something. Yeah, yeah. They, could, they dominated him. Duke went toe to toe with Cornell. They were gassed. I don't think it was overtime, but it was a really tight game. Hot, so hot. Yeah. So Petro, to his credit, that game, their game plan was to run them off the field early, and they did. I don't know what the exact score was at halftime, but Hopkins had all the legs. Duke didn't, and they. But then Duke comes back, and it was a one-goal game, and Duke had the ball late. Jesse Schwartzman makes a save, and so that's one I remember. And then obviously the overtime, uh, Carolina win. Uh, Cloutier, too big, too big, too big, um, is the last game I did. So in between, you're right. There were definitely some duds of title games. Close. There were close games, but not, you know, action-packed. Yeah, that that 17 championship stacks up there. Definitely top five all-time, I think, uh, and maybe even higher for, for drama, playmaking. The crowd was sensational. It was just a, it was a great day. Save uh, right up until Rupel made those three saves in a row against UVA. It was probably the greatest save in Maryland history, although I'm not certainly a turf historian out there, but that was a sixth save. We had a penalty with the cup check. Do you remember that? The late hit that the goalie oh, can't call. Oh, the Maryland, the Maryland the, penalty the cost them the game. The, uh, no, they they pulled it. They, they, it was a penalty on Carolina because I think it was Goldstock gets them for the retaliation. If I remember correctly, but we, but you're right. They do get with it. The gold, with a, the gold camp, the gold camp, the gold camp it. nailed it. Yeah. The gold camp caught it. Cause we're all sitting there going, you can't call that. You can't call that. And then we saw the gold camp. And we're like, ah, you have to call that. <laughs> hey, how can people get in touch with city lax? Uh, so we got a website, citylaxnyc.org. And I would say the best way to keep up with us to see all our teams in action is Instagram. We're doing a great job this year of getting out to as many games as possible and just showing the diversity of all our teams, and that's City Lax NYC. Uh, we got a benefit coming up on May 10th at the New York Athletic Club, so if you're in the tri-state area, uh, go on our website or go follow us on Instagram for ticket information for that. We'd love to have you and learn more. It's a great collection of lacrosse people. Uh, it's also a great way to network if you're young and out of college and in New York City, so that's May 10th. But City Lax NYC on Instagram is uh, the best way to keep up with us. Eamon, thank you. Let's go Mets. Thank you. So you got Friday night, huh? I'm interested in that one because Duke's been uh, dominant, but uh, they haven't really good. played anybody. I mean, they no, look I, good. I, I've been watching them on tape. They've made some adjustments to their O. They got 
two good midfield lines. I like their depth of their shorties. They're winning tons of face-offs. They, they, this is the best I've seen them look in maybe two or three years by far. You know, they're engaged too. They're, they're, yeah, and they're engaged. I was watching their St. Joe's game and like they score goals two nothing, but you could see Wilson Stevenson and Kenny Brower, the two defenders, like celebrate the goal, like legitimately. And at times I think Duke has slept walk through games, you know, the assumption that we're going to win. You can see they're just invested and engaged and emotional on some plays. And, to me, that jumps off. You know, I, I point out the opposite. Uh, watching Yale play two weeks ago uh, and a game they gave up 20 goals to Cornell. I didn't like their body language. Like defensively, you know, that, 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 that post-goal uh, autopsy where the defenders huddle around the goalie and try to figure out what happens. I was like, that is the worst body language I've seen in, in a huddle in a long time. Well, it kind of showed up the next week. They gave up 23 last week. So when we watch tape, we're looking for a lot of things other than just like guys scoring goals. Uh, but I tell you, uh, one thing last year has taught us is that this stretch run is going to be crazy because you start thinking about like, okay, so Notre Dame dominated Ohio State. Is that a good win? Okay, well, maybe not. Oh, well, now they just beat Rutgers. So that's a good win again. You know, what the Ivy League last year, the Ivy League this year, what win does it have to raise all boats? Do they have no, it? What's the, no, they're, right? they're one in 10. They're one in 10 against the ACC and the Big Ten. They picked up one yesterday. Brown beat Villanova. But Brown, again, losing three straight, Brown's a low RPI team right now. So Brown's not helping anybody in the conference. And so it's going to be hard for the Ivy to dig itself out of, out of their uh, lack of non-league wins uh, in February and March. It's going to be fascinating to see which, and again, we learned a whole lot more last year. You always knew it, and the people inside of it always knew the RPI and maybe some of its faults and you know how one game can sort of shift everything but that's going to be really interesting again because you look at some of these teams that you just assumed were going to be tournament teams like where's their win what's their win like Rutgers does it have a you know Rutgers gets a win over Princeton probably thought hey that's our win will it be your win will it hold up so I, I think it's going to be a great stretch run for you guys and a great run stretch run for us fans well thank you Eamon yeah it is a fascinating time of year as as league races now become become our focus uh all the all the different leagues whether it's the new Atlantic 10 Atlantic Sun CAA uh, or, or the big three with the, uh, the Big Ten, ACC, and Ivy. John, Quint, great to catch up, and I appreciate the time. Way to go. Don't quit.